You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. It's good to see those of you out today and those that are joining us online, glad to have you. And it's an exciting time to be together right now at this church. And I'm glad that you've chosen to be here, especially those of you that are new to MCC. Welcome back. Glad you're here. If you want to, children, fifth grade and under, you can make your way to Clubhouse. If you want to stay up here with me, you're welcome to do that. This is a much better time up here than what you're going to have downstairs. But... You guys can head on down there, and I want the rest of us to grab our Bible and turn two places. The first place is Luke 16, Luke chapter 16. Now, Luke's one of the Gospels. It's back there towards the back of your Bible in the New Testament, Luke chapter 16. And and just mark your place there, hold it there, and then go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, where we're going to look at our cornerstone passage this week as we continue this series, Lessons Learned. Now, you know, some people just try. They try their hardest to become a sermon illustration. Others, they just luck into it. But this morning, I received a call from Gary Newby. Gary's hospitalized down at Clark County. He's got pneumonia. Not for sure why he's there other than he's a wimp. He's probably listening right now. But this is his third day there, and he doesn't know how much longer he's staying. But he called me this morning, Kyle. He called me this morning at 8 o'clock. And he said, you won't believe this. And I said, what? How are you doing, Gary? I'm fine, but I've got the most beautiful nurse right here in my room taking care of me. And I said, well, Gary, I said, you call me when you wake up because that's just a dream. So I'm waiting to hear from him. It's also good to have Kyle Mayfield back with us. Kyle serves us in the military, and I believe this was his last his, oh, you got one more. You just keep saying one more. Well, I was going to congratulate you on your retirement, but you go do one more and then you come back. All right. But welcome home. I'm glad that you're here and thank you for your service. It's good to have Cheyenne and JJ up here. Cheyenne's a young lady here to my right. It's her first time on the weekend serving with us. And JJ, you know him, but he's back there on the base, first time on the base. And I thought he did a great job. And then we've got Fro over here, right there. Uh, Cody, uh, we thank him for playing with us this weekend. We were excited to have him play with us in the future. Now you can thank them all. They did a great job. All right, now let's get down to business. This week's message, this, the title of this week's message, Lessons Learned, Value Money, may set you back for a minute, right? Isn't money the root of all evil? Well, no. The, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, doesn't money get in the way of our relationship with God? I mean, what about the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus downcast because he was unwilling to take his focus, his trust off of his possessions and put his trust on God. Doesn't money get in our way? Yes, sometimes it does. But you know, Jesus, Jesus throughout the Bible, God chooses to use the value of things like money, commodities, grain and fruit He uses the value of money as a measure of our trust in him. In fact, we are commanded, one of the early commands for us as a people that continues from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we're commanded to do what? To bring the first and the best of all that we've been given, all that's been entrusted to us. We're to bring it to him, we're to lay it before him as an offering. And what does he promise to do? 
He, he promises that if we will test him in this, he will do what? He will take the same measure that we use. If we just give a dollar out of our wallet and, and that's just a fraction of what he's given us that week, then he will bless us with only a fraction. But when you give like you want to give out of Bill Stone's pocketbook, you know, you reach up there during prayer time, get out his wallet and put five or six hundreds in there, you know, because Bill's loaded like that. When you give that way, when you use that bigger measure, I'm not talking about month, uh, uh, dollar amounts, but that bigger measure, that 10% or 15% or 20%, God says, Jesus says that with the same measure you use, he's going to take that and he's going to pack it down. He's going to shake it together. And he's even going to pour some on top to where it overflows into your lap. If you were to choose one statement that captures lessons that you've learned about money, what would it be? What would that lesson be? Any of you young folks learned anything about money yet? Just that you need it? You need it to put gas in the car? And mom and dad have a limited amount, so it's time to get out and do it on your own? Maybe you've taken a Dave Ramsey course and you've learned the lesson, right, Aunt? Cut up those credit cards and then order new ones. No, you cut up those credit cards, right? You've learned that about money. Uh, how many of you have learned this little tougher lesson that, that enjoying your work is more important than having a, a very high paying job that you don't enjoy? But, but finding joy in your work is, is so much more important than the amount of money that you make. What about the rule, don't spend it, the lesson learned, don't spend it before you earn it. It, it, it? We used to say, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. But how many of us, uh, I, I think about the Christmas vacation, right? And Griswold there who, who laid out a big deposit on the swimming pool, right? And then the stingy boss didn't give him the bonus that he expected. The lesson that I've learned that I want to encourage you with today is found in Proverbs 3, 9. And the lesson's this. Solomon said, you honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, does that mean I'm wealthy? I, I really am. Uh, maybe not in a financial sense, but in all the things that God's given me, I am wealthy, and so are you. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and it's speaking in farming terms because these were the terms. This was the resources that these people had in this day. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now in Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives this very subject some significant time when he gives us the account of a rich man and a poor man. And as you flip back there with me, I think there are three lessons learned that we can draw from this teaching, this story that Jesus shares with us. Let's look. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19, reads, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, I love the message paraphrase. It, it says that he wasted his days in conspicuous consumption. What's that mean? This man lived extravagantly. This man ate the best foods. He lived in the most luxurious home. He wore the most expensive clothing every day. And there are a lot of people who do that today. 
uh, the rich and famous, right? We're always curious about how they're living. We, we see those flyover pictures of their, uh, their spacious mansions that they, they live in. We, we look at their collection of cars, you know, Jay Leno and, and all of his cars. And, and we look at the way that they eat. I, um, I, I've got a friend, I, I love to go eat lunch with him because he makes a little bit more money than I do, probably three times as much as I do, if not four. And we eat better. I can't get him to go to rallies to save my life. But the rich, the rich live extravagantly, but it's not just the rich who live that way. People who make much less, people like me, spend more than we can afford. People indulge themselves every day by reversing priorities and spending money on the things that they want that they don't really need. How do we do it? Well, we do it with debt. And when we go into debt, three things happen to us. The first is this. Going into debt makes me a servant to someone other than God. Going into debt makes me a servant to someone other than God than God. Now, you, you don't believe me? Then you stop making that $1,000 a month house payment. Just go ahead and miss the next five. Tell them the preacher said so. You, you go ahead and you miss that $800 truck payment that's sitting out there in your driveway. And you see how long it takes for them to give you a call and start telling you what you need to do. Solomon wrote, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a servant to the lender. Going into debt makes us a servant to someone other than God. When we go into debt, when we go into debt, we need to understand that mortgaging our future affects our whole family. Mortgaging our future affects our whole family. Our desire for cars and homes and eating out has us so strapped that that both, both mom and dad have to go to work. And, and I'm not being sexist here. Uh, some of you ladies have spectacular careers. And uh, I thought Sarah was going to have one of those, and I'd be one of those well-kept men that stayed at home, right? We got a few of those in the crowd. They're really enjoying it. I, I wish I knew him, right? Beforehand, I made some different choices. Right? Bill Stone's one of those. He's been that way his whole life. <laughs> He's been that way his whole life. Nancy's still working. She's retired three times. <laughs> but I'm talking about we have so indebted ourselves, we've so mortgaged ourselves that we both have to go to work in order just to pay the bills. And that affects our family. We come so home so tired. And then we've got homework. Then we've got lessons. Then we've got sports. We come home so tired that we hire somebody to take care of our kids all day long, and then we leave them with a babysitter that night. We bring home fast food more than one night a week. Some of us bring home fast food six, seven nights a week. Look at the lines at the fast food restaurants. We're unable to give the way that we're commanded to give, and so we're unable to help others, and that frustrates us. Solomon said, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. Mortgaging our future, realize it affects your entire family. 
And finally, when we choose debt, what we're doing really is we're asking someone other than God to meet our needs. Uh, that's what we're doing. You say, oh, but Dave, the, the water heater broke this month. Uh, we've got to do it. I'm not talking about when the things that you have to have break. You know, our air conditioner went out last week. And you know, that has been the greatest blessing for us. Now, I, I got it fixed. I got it fixed, but I enjoyed those three days of opening up the window. I can't tell you, it's been years since our windows were open at our house. Years, seriously. And to feel that breeze coming through, we, we took the, the outside furniture and we put it on the, the back porch, screened in porch, and, and we've got big doors that open up our whole home to that porch, and, and we moved a TV out there, and, and we watched shows together at night on Netflix. And it's been the best three days we've had. My daughters say, we're living like the Amish dad. I said, yeah, except for the TV and the lights, you know. When we choose debt, we're asking someone other than God to meet our needs. You know, when we pull out our Visa or Discover or Chase card, when we go into debt, we're placing our trust in the lender instead of the giver of all good things. The giver of all good things. Now, let me clarify. The Bible doesn't forbid debt. I, I can't tell you that today, but I can tell you what the Bible does do. It tells us that there's a better way to live. Even in the Old Testament, the Lord commanded that debts be canceled, what, every seven years because he knows what bondage that we're in when we go into debt. Several years ago, I knew a man who lived in a huge home in the suburbs. I, I remember driving up and meeting this man and his family all those years ago. We had, had a relationship that lasted the next several years. But this man lived in a home that I dreamed of. It was huge, beautiful setting on the outside of Indianapolis. And I arrived at that home and was shown all the rooms to the home, just huge rooms. You, you could put half of my house just in the den, that, and that doesn't include the formal living room and, and the kitchen, it was huge. But there was this dining room off to the side. It was one of the prettiest rooms in the house. It, it just was shaped really special. But you know what? That dining room sat empty the entire time that I knew those people. And the lady there at the house, she loved to have her family up. But you know what they had to do? They had to sit on the furniture in the den to eat. Why? Because this man, this man had a good working job, but, but he had to drive the finest car. This man, he was always trying to make it big. And just about the time there'd be enough money to buy that dining room table and that hutch that, that she had had picked out for a long time, he would invest it in a, in a pyramid scheme, Right? He, he would find just the right one. He would buy in low, and then he'd persuade 100 other friends. I, you've never done that, to, to buy in so that he could rake off that 1% or 2% of what they make as they got another 100 people to do it. One year, it was long distance. Now, some of you don't know what long distance is, but we used to have to pay to talk on the phone for any place right outside of our little neighborhood, right? And long distance rates would be crazy, sometimes 30, 40 cents a minute to talk to your girlfriend. I, they weren't worth it. But he, he got into this long distance thing one year. He paid thousands of dollars to, to have these discount cards that he could sell to people just to cut a little bit off of the long distance bill. The best one, the best one, 
And the most expensive one was the year that he bought a computer that was the size of that table. Now, this, this was back in the 80s, and computers were not, not a big thing yet. The internet was barely there, right? They just had a, a modem dial-up. And so he bought this huge computer, plugged it into the phone line. He had to have another phone line in the house. That cost another couple hundred dollars. Then he had a printer the size of this table. And what that computer did was you could, you could buy from him that computer to make a call to your child at Christmas. I mean, what more could you ask as a parent to have a computer call your child, right? And that computer pretended to be Santa Claus. What would you like, little Johnny, for Christmas this year? And you tell the computer. And the computer would then write a story and print it on a color book, and then he would mail it to that family for Christmas. Now, isn't that cool? He never made back even his initial investment on any of those things. The point is this. Solomon said, he who works his land, he who works what's right in front of him will have abundant food. But he who chases fantasies, they like judgment. And so here's the first lesson of three this weekend. If you haven't gotten anything so far, hopefully this will resonate. And that is Christians are called to live a life of self-denial and not excess. Self-denial and not excess. Now, back when I was in college, I visited the monastery down in Bardstown, Kentucky. That's not what we're talking about. You don't have to sell everything and go live as a monk. In fact, I would say that's absolutely the wrong thing to do. But there are times when our human nature craves a material thing that needs to be resisted in the moment. I mean, I can't tell you how bad I want a pickup truck. There isn't a guy in here that doesn't want a pickup truck. But I don't want a used pickup truck. I want a brand new pickup truck. I want one of those Dodge Bighorns, right, Kyle? I mean, the thing that's got a, a center console that you can do your work on as if you're going to work right there in your truck. A truck that costs $70,000, right? You can even finance it for 150 years just to get the payment down to $900 a month. And you know what? I could make the monthly payment, just like many of you in this room could make the monthly payment, but I won't do it. Why? Because I don't want to put a stranglehold on my family. I don't want to put a stranglehold on my flexibility. It would bring unnecessary stress on me that Lord knows affects my family, that affects my church, that affects my health. You see, the Christian lives a life of self-denial because we're called to live differently than the world. In fact, we're called to live so differently because this is not our home. This isn't our only life. This is just like the first week or the first day of our life, even if you live 80, 90 years, because we're called to live for eternity. Peter wrote, dear friends, I urge you, I remind you as aliens and strangers in this world, Stay away from sinful desires. David, don't you go sit in that truck because if you do and you smell that new leather, you know you're going to be sunk, which wage against your soul. And we usually apply this verse just to sensual desires, right? Don't, don't play that game on Facebook. Don't make those calls. But it applies to material desires as well. This world's not our home. And our joy, our satisfaction is not found in the next possession, no matter how hard we try. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he was directing young Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and listen, 
There's not going to be any U-Hauls in heaven. But if you have food and clothing, if you have a back porch without air conditioning, and you have your family healthy and by your side, be content with that. Some people eager for money, eager for possessions, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Are you feeling that grief? Children that we've spoiled, who can't get on with their life without us? Debt that hangs over your head and keeps you from enjoying some semblance of retirement or the hope of retirement? Isolation? Because you've worked so hard, you've, you've not invested in people around you or friends? Anxiety and depression. But he goes on in verse 11, but you, person of God, man of God, woman of God, flee from all of this. Do your best to avoid it altogether and you pursue the things that matter. Right living, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And so we're to practice restraint knowing the words of Jesus are true. And that is a man's life does not consist of his possessions or the abundance of the things that he possesses. And my grandparents were a great example of this in my life. My grandparents on my father's side, my, my mother's side, there's a whole other story to that as well. But I've mentioned my grandfather Colbert. His name was Merchant. That was going to be Olivia's first name had she been a boy. I think Sarah prayed really hard for that not to happen. <laughs> But my grandfather, merchant, he was a tenant farmer. Oh, I like to say my grandpa lived on a 100-acre farm, which is true, but it wasn't his. He lived in an old farmhouse in the middle that was covered with trees. He had the, the most relaxing yard that we would sit in, in lawn chairs, no air conditioning in the house. But it was a house that wasn't his. He worked two jobs. He farmed that land and raised tobacco and corn and cows and, and pigs. And then at night, he'd go to Dow Corning over in Carrollton, and he would work eight or ten hours there in that chemical plant so that he could have insurance for his wife. When he died, when he died, that insurance took care of her, that she could live in a retirement community, be surrounded by family. And when her time went, you know what she left us? You know what she left all of us? Six hundred dollars. $600. We're still spending that money today. Now, what she, she did is she left us $600, but what she left us was worth so much more. Every person in my family, my, my dad just has one sibling, and he has, she has two sons, and my dad has three of us. And every one of us are in the church and have always been in the church. Every one of us live as clean a Christian life as we can live. No, no addictions, thank God, except for food. Right? No children by several other people that we've never met before in our life. And, and, and I know those things happen. But you, you see what I'm saying? There's more important things than money, than possessions. Now, this man in Jesus' story lived in abundance so much so that he couldn't see the possibility of life lived any other way. <laughs> Can you relate to that? 
He had had it so good for so long, right? It's like my daughter's realizing that, that before cell phones, you know, you'd go to the store without being attached to a phone. This man lived in abundance so that he didn't understand or couldn't even see the possibility of living life any other way. Verse 20, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dog came and licked his sores. Now, I want you to do me a favor this morning, and I, and I want you to just attach to Lazarus Whatever it is that God has put right in front of you that you're ignoring because you put priorities on other things, in this case, possessions. You, you have valued money at such a level that those things right at your doorstep you've ignored, okay? It's not just about poor people and feeding them is what I'm saying. This rich man knew that he was there, and you know that those opportunities are there in your life. Later in the story, we read that he even knew the man's name, but he did what? He ignored his hurt. He ignored the opportunity. He ignored the opportunity to help the helpless find food, to find shelter, to find transportation, and Lazarus was so sick, he could only lay at the gate so weak that he even couldn't prevent the dogs from licking his wounds. And there are people around us every day who are so messed up in their mind and in their life that they can't take care of themselves. But the rich man gave no medical attention. He didn't invite him into his house. He didn't offer him a hot meal. He didn't look through his clothing like Brandon suggested that we do and find a decent jacket for this man to wear at night. He just focused on himself. And we say, yeah, that's the way it is. The Bible says it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Or is it? God said that with him all things are possible. How many of you remember Abraham from the Old Testament? Do you know that Abraham is believed to be one of the richest men of the Old Testament? His possessions were, were vast. And you know where Abraham's at? He's in heaven, as we're about to see right here in this story. Solomon wrote, such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So here's the second lesson on valuing money. Christians are to live generous, not selfish lives. Generous, not selfish lives. Now, we want to believe that the more we have, right, the more we'll give. If I just had more time, right, I would serve in the children's ministry. If I just had more time, I would work and help the kids down to the school on Fridays. If I just had more time, if I had more money, more money. I'd have more opportunity to give and to really, to really help people, but it's just the opposite. The more we have, the more self-indulgent that we are. Every one of us have said it, right? The more money that we make, the more money we what? The more money we spend. And we keep digging out for more. The more time that we have, the more we spend on ourselves. I deserve a vacation. I deserve a break. I deserve... Unless we take all that we've been given and use it to do the good that God places right in front of us. And it's in this moment that we find 
that what's been entrusted to us when we let go of that, he returns tenfold, literally. The more time we give, the more time we have. The more resources we give away, the more resources that we are entrusted to. First Timothy chapter six in the message paraphrase reads, tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage. Riches to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that's truly life. And that's the third mistake that this rich man made. Look at verse 22. The time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Where's Abraham? Abraham's in heaven. The rich man died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side, okay? So you got the picture? Here's the rich man in the pits of hell. And God, for whatever reason, I think it's for you and me today, he gives us this glimpse, this one-time look of what it's like to be in hell, to, to be able to imagine family and the people that, that you have had some relationship with to be in heaven, but, but you can't reach them, you can't communicate with them, you, you can't see them, except for in your mind's eye and the torment that that brings. Rich man died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus, <laughs> send Lazarus. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. You see, the rich man never seemed to think about the fact that he was going to have to one day stand before God, as we all will, and give an account. Give an account for the way that he lived his life. The value that he placed on things in his life. Had he thought about death? he would have been more generous to those that were at his gate. Had he thought about death, he would have thought about his children, which we're going to see in just a moment as he begs Lazarus, God, to let Lazarus go and, and warn his children. But he focused only on this world, and he wound up separated from it all in hell. And he himself became a beggar. Verse 25 Abraham replied, son, he's speaking to the rich man. My grandpa used to refer to me as son. Remember that in your lifetime, you received good things. Lazarus received bad things. Isn't that true? Sometimes it boils down to that. Some of us are very, very blessed with things. And some of us are blessed with challenge after challenge after challenge. In your lifetime, you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here in the real life. And you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, a great divide, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there 
to us. The Bible says it's appointed. It's appointed a man to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. There's no reversal. There's no second chance to go back and, and have a do-over. There's no relief. And so here's the third most important lesson that we learn, and that is we're to live for eternity, not just for the moment. We're to live with eternity as our focus, not just today. We hear a lot about seizing the moment, living in the present, and we do need to make the most of every opportunity. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.15, don't be unwise, be as the wise, right? Right, live as the wise. Make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. But Christians live with eternal values. We know that we can't focus on the things of this world, but we fix our eyes on what is not seen. How many of you remember the chorus in the 1990s? We used to sing it almost every weekend. It's a really neat chorus. It says, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing, nothing I desire compares with you. Solomon gives us these words. And what's he talking about here? He's talking about wisdom. He's talking about taking the things that God commands of us and applying it to our lives. And he says this of wisdom and God. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. And then Jesus in Matthew, he, he shares this parable, right? It's a story. It's an illustrating point. And many of you are familiar with it. He, he talks about a man that's much like my grandpa. He was a tenant farmer. He, he was hired to farm some land. And just like my neighbors across the road, he had a beautiful set of horses and he had a plow. And that guy was out there plowing that field when all of a sudden his plow hits something and almost knocks him down. It jars his teeth. And so he lays that plow over and he starts moving away the dirt. And right there in that field, Jesus says, is a box. And inside that box, in the heat of the day with the sun glistening down, that, that servant tore open that box and the most beautiful rubies and gems glistened in the sun. Diamonds like you've never seen before. Diamonds that would weigh your hands down, ladies, if you had but one on there. Gold and silver, wealth beyond count was right there in that box. And so what did the man do? He, he closed up that box, and he took the dirt, and he covered it up, and he, went, he finished plowing the field, Jesus said, and he went home that night and he looked at the things that he had and he made a decision. He said, I I'm gonna sell everything that I've got. And his friend said, you are such a fool. You're gonna sell everything you got and go buy just that field that you've been working in every day, that field that you're gonna have to plant and then harvest and plant and harvest. You're gonna do that? And he said, yes, I am. And so he went and he bought that field. Now, what in the world is that story about? Well, it's, it's about our life. It's about what we're talking about today. You see, that treasure that at some point in all of our lives we encounter, 
Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, the one who gives us purpose for our life, the one who promises what no one else can and has proven his ability to follow through. He offers us eternity in heaven. The question is, the question is, are we willing to let go of the things that we have placed a value for he who is of infinite value and beauty and glory. And for some of you in this room, you've done that. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to drive a man who was a multimillionaire, owned property, buildings, everything. I had the opportunity on behalf of his son to drive his father to Indianapolis. He had to make an appearance up there and he said, will you drive dad? He's, he's, I don't trust him being out that far, you know, in the car. And I said, I'd be glad to. And I got in the car with him. I looked over at him. I said, sir, I, I've, I've heard about you. I've seen you. It's, a, it's, it's nice to meet you. And uh, I said, uh, I, I've heard that you're a Christian. And he said, yes, I am. He said, you remember that story in the Bible? And he told me the parable as if I'd never heard it. And he said, I'm that man. He said, at a young age, I had everything at my fingertips. And I decided that I would sell it all. I would sell it all and focus my life on Christ. And ever since that time, he's had church gatherings at his house almost weekly. He's of the, the faith of the two-by-two two movement that that you don't need a church building, that, that you don't need a designated preacher, but that you just move from home to home, what, whatever. He, he serves the Lord. He, he serves Jesus Christ in that. And he looked at me and he said, have you done the same? I said, as a matter of fact, I have. <laughs> I have. I learned a long time ago that not only can you not outgive God, but there is nothing there's nothing that I desire more than to live in his plan and his will and his provision. I've had the opportunity to make more money than I ever deserved. I've had the opportunity to be without. And I've chosen, I've chosen to put all those things aside and go and buy the field. And so the lessons learned this weekend, what are you going to do what value do you place on money? money? Money's part of our lives. But if you place value on that above God and your family, then you're going to learn the lesson the tough way like the rich man in the story. But if you, if you will dare, if you will dare to take your eyes off of that and put them on the treasure of Jesus Christ and line yourself with his commands and live generously according to his commands, he will give you more than you could ever imagine or hope for in satisfaction, in the things that you need, family, friends, and he'll give you eternity with him. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for this life that you give us here. And Lord, we sure put a lot of stock in it. We're grateful for all the amazing ways that you've provided for our needs. And, and Lord, some of us have thought that that's really us providing, but 
But it's you, whether we acknowledge you or not. You, the Bible says, you're the giver of all good things. Even our ability to produce wealth, you give us. And we're grateful. But Lord, we find ourselves all the time grateful but wanting more. Grateful but spending more than we can afford. And sometimes it seems we've gone so far that it's hard to make the change. To give up those things again. Help us to exchange this life for you, for your desire for us to have both now and for eternity by denying ourselves and following you, living in your generosity, your ways and truth for our life. And thank you for giving us Jesus who empowers us to do what for us seems impossible. Lord, all things are possible with you and with him. And so may he have his way with us now and empower us to take that next step, whatever it is, with confidence that you and you alone will provide. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to take your next step, if you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard this morning, we always offer this next five or 10 minutes for you to make that move. You won't regret it. We're right here to meet you in the front. We'll be glad to come out and meet you there if you'll just give us a signal to come to you.